0: You have goals. Reach them fast with IU Online's Accelerated Degree Programs. Our six- and eight-week courses are taught 100% online and can fit any schedule. Advance your career with a bachelor's in mathematics. It only takes 10 minutes to apply. Earn an Indiana University degree that's valued around the world. Get started today
1: at IU Online.
0: With Capella University's FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines, learn at your pace, and access most coursework from anywhere, at any time. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.
1: You're listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Science Focus magazine team. With the UK's best-selling Science and Technology Monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us
0: in your app store.
1: Hi, welcome back to the Science Focus podcast. I'm Daniel Bennett, the editor of BBC Science Focus magazine. And today I'm joined by Dr. Pete Etchells, a professor of psychology with a particular interest in how video games affect our mood and behaviour. Pete is also the author of the brilliant book, Lost in a Good Game, which explores why we love video games and what they can do for us. Today, we're talking about the relationship between gambling and video games, what we know and what we don't. And crucially, we want you to help us with the research. So, if you want to get involved in a real-life scientific study that could shape the conversation around gaming and gambling, Stay tuned and listen in for details at the end. So, Pete, uh, can you tell me why are you so interested in video games and behaviour?
0: Well, because they're they're great, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've always I've always been interested in in video games. I've I've played them all my life. Uh, my background as a scientist obviously wasn't in them to begin with. I started out life uh, during my PhD doing work on vision science. So I was interested in how and why we move our eyes to moving things in the world around us and and what that can tell us about how the brain generally makes decisions and things like that. And I can pinpoint when I got interested in this whole question around video games and, and behavior to... Going down to the pub um, around about 2011. I mean, we always used to go down to the pub on a Friday night, um, everybody in our department. And I think that day I'd read an article in a newspaper that shall not be named uh, that said something like, uh, computer games leave kids with dementia warns top neurologist. Is it doozy? I, yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I wasn't so much angry at that. I was just a bit dumbfounded because it seemed like such a bizarre claim to make. And I looked at the the evidence behind it at the time and there was none. And we're nearly 10 years down the line from that particular headline. And there's still no research that suggests that playing video games causes dementia in kids. So I was having a, a big rant about this in, in the pub and one of the professors in, in the department said, well, you know, why why don't you Put, put your money where your mouth is, basically, and do some work on that. And and that was kind of the first time that it ever really occurred to me that as a psychologist, this is something that I could actually interrogate from a research point of view. So I could bring together two things that I really love, psychology and playing video games, and, and try and answer some interesting scientific questions about them.
1: And just hearing you say that, given given how many of us, uh, these days play video games and if you just need if you need evidence, you can just look at uh, how how quickly the the PlayStation 5 keeps selling out. <laughs> um, is it, am I right to say it's quite an understudied area in psychology?
0: Yeah, in some ways I mean in, in some ways it's, it's the, there's there's tons and tons of research from a psychological point of view there's tons of research out there on video games. In another sense, there is really not that much good stuff out there and so for the past 30 years or so i would say that psychology and the the understanding of media effects and video games specifically has been really dominated by this question around whether playing violent video games causes aggression and um, perhaps a little bit more recently this idea of of whether video games are addictive or not those are interesting questions in and of themselves but there's a vast array of areas of study and avenues of research to do with video games that we've just not really touched because we've been so focused on these more negative questions
1: so so what kind of areas are you, are you thinking about
0: so the the, the most basic and, and obvious one would be looking at potential positive effects of of play again it, it's it's something that we've seen bits of research on but they tend to focus on things like you know do brain training games work or not and and again the evidence there has been pretty much that they they don't um, but looking at really at how people play video games that that's another one actually we we still don't really have a good handle on why people play them we we've got an understanding of the types of things that people do in games but really trying to understand in a really detailed way why people pick up a game controller every day after work or on the weekend or at two o'clock in the morning we're we're really only just scratching the surface of that question
1: okay so we'll we'll definitely loop back to that it's especially I'm particularly interested in the as a as a science reporter the kind of the stream of sort of moral panic that we have every every <laughs> so often around video games but I just want to um turn our attention to something that you're you know the reason why we're talking now uh which is you're you're doing some new research um on a particular gameplay mechanic um that's sort of come into the spotlight in in the last few months or last few years even and they're called loot boxes um so so first off just for someone who might not know what a loot box is um what what are they and um why are they of interest to you
0: my, my favourite way of explaining what loot boxes are is, is harking back to something that I used to do as a kid. So when I was about eight, nine, ten, that sort of age, um, I always used to, every year at the start of the Premier League, buy a football sticker album <laughs> and you get packs of stickers and in each pack there's like six cards and some of them you will get loads and loads of versions of and other ones, they were always usually the shiny foil uh, club logos and things like that. They were really rare. Um, And and basically loot boxes are the digital equivalent of those sorts of packs. So when you play a game, you're given the opportunity to open a box, so literally a loot box, Um, but in other games it can be things like opening a pack of cards or spinning a wheel or something like that. And you will have a random chance of getting a selection of items out of that box. And what those items do varies from game to game. So some games, it might give you things like an outfit or a costume for your character. So it doesn't actually have any impact on... Your ability to play the game itself it just makes you look a bit cooler in other games you might get new power-ups or so games like hearthstone for instance which is a, a an online card game it's a bit like magic the gathering um you can get new new packs of cards and and the new cards do new things in game so they might give you an in-game advantage but regardless of how it's implemented the 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 setup is basically the same across any sort of implementation of this in that you will get a random selection of items. Some of them you get quite a lot, and they're relatively low value. They don't really do much. And because of those two things, they're they're not particularly desirable. Other items will be much, much rarer, and they might look cooler or have much more powerful in-game advantages, and therefore they become much more desirable. Now, the issue around loot boxes at the minute is that you get some of them for free in most games, but most games also offer you the opportunity to buy them as well. And it's usually around about a pound to open one box or, say, £40 to open 50 boxes and things like that. So the worry that a lot of scientists have, um, a lot of parents have, I think, as well, and increasingly policymakers have, is that this is something that's within a video game environment that seems to look like gambling, right? This looks like something that you might see on a slot machine. You know, this idea that you pay a bit of money and you will, you have a chance at winning something that you want and it's sort of randomized and you don't know necessarily what the odds are. So that's a, why people are starting to get interested in loot boxes as a specific mechanism within games. Um, are they driving problematic gambling behaviors do they have any impacts on mental health and mental well-being or are we worrying about nothing Uh, and that's that's sort of what I'm trying to look at with the research that I'm doing at the minute is to try and put those three areas together basically what's the relationship between the types of games you play um, the types of loot boxes that are implemented in them as well as your own mental well-being um, whether you show any problematic gambling behaviors um, and things like that to see whether this is something that we need to be thinking a little bit more deeply about
1: so it's not so so it's 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 in in one part it's understanding how how much does this look like gambling but also regardless of this does, does this mechanism you know is it healthy for our mental health because um i suppose if you're If I I remember, uh, (laughs) there was always a kid in school who had uh, the biggest pile of those football stickers, (laughs) and I had a very small pile, Um, and perhaps if I had the money at my disposal that um, I do today back then, I could probably pour a lot of money into it, Uh, not only spend a lot of money, but also chances are be quite unhappy by the end of it.
0: That- yeah, I think there's the, the problem with it is that there's no upper limit, right? Because there's never a hundred percent guarantee that even if you have even after you open a thousand boxes, you'll get that one particular item that you want. You can therefore spend inordinate amount of money on these boxes um and and there's not really anything stopping you there so that's that's one potential issue but I think this goes to a really interesting question here about you know w- what is it that we're worried about what what do we mean when we talk about potential harm um, particularly in this context so one aspect of that might be financial harm you know can you can you afford to do this it might be you know it might be the case that you spend a thousand pounds a month on loot boxes that's either a problem or it isn't depending on your ability to afford that or not and and trying to interrogate that particular question in psychological research is often quite a difficult thing to do because we often rely on fairly subjective uh, questionnaire type measures where we're relying on people being honest with us about things like how much they're spending how much they're earning and things like that that's not to say it's not an issue there's a potential Real harm there in that if you're spending beyond your means on on this particular mechanism, that's going to cause all sorts of problems in your wider life. There are also issues around mental well-being, like you said. So, is it the case that, regardless of your ability to um, to be able to spend money on these sorts of uh, these sorts of mechanisms, these sorts of items? when you do it does it does it help you at all or does it does it cause largely negative affect behavior so you know does it lower your mood um and we've got mixed evidence on that at the minute so there's a few studies out there that show that um, increases in loot box purchases and spending behaviors seems to be um negatively correlated with mood so the idea is you, if you spend more on loot boxes you also report that your mood's lower as well. There are some studies out there, though, that show that correlation and at the same time show a correlation with positive moods as well. So at the same time as showing that there's reductions in mood, they also show that people who spend more on loot boxes also tend to be happier as well. So we've got a real mix of, of, um, of findings at the minute, and it's difficult to tease these things apart. And that's why I think it's really important to do more work on this, because you know we're at the stage at the minute, certainly in the UK, where we're looking at potential regulation of these sorts of mechanics in games, and maybe even going so far as to revise and update the UK Gambling Act to take them into account. But we don't really have a clear idea on what their actual effects are at the minute. We have a a load of studies out there that are good studies, they're done well, but they're all largely correlational in nature. So they show that if you spend more on loot boxes, you also report higher levels of problem gambling. Um, But we don't know what the causal direction there is. It might be that people who are already prone to problematic gambling behaviours are drawn to, to games that have got loot boxes in them. Or it might be that people are fine then they start playing games with loot boxes in them and that increases problematic gambling behavior later on and it's the same with with mental well-being so it might be the case that for some people who are in difficult positions they play these sorts of games and spend money on loot boxes that lowers their mood uh, which is why we get those negative correlations. But for some people who can afford to do this and they enjoy playing games and getting more items in that game that they like playing is a fun thing to do, then that's that, that correlates with an increased uh, increased mood. So we need to figure out whether these are sort of bad across the board, in which case you know regulation is a good idea, or are there some cases in which it's bad for sp- for specific people, for specific groups of people, in which case we need to identify those people and figure out how best we can support them. But actually, for the gaming population at large, loot boxes offer a bit of a positive boost to mood. In which case, you know, we shouldn't get rid of them from games. So we're not at the stage where we can answer those sorts of questions yet with the research. And and for
1: anyone listening who maybe isn't, you know, um, isn't wouldn't call themselves a gamer. I mean, this is pretty big, big stuff. Uh, in reality, isn't it? Because I mean, uh, it, it's in some parts of Europe, um, the that mechanic has been banned. Is it is it um, the Netherlands or?
0: Yeah, so Belgium was the, Belgium, uh, the the particularly famous case a couple of years ago. So there was a big um, gambling commission investigation, and it, it covered three particular games. So I think it looked at Overwatch, which is like a first-person shooter type game. Mm-hmm. FIFA 2018 and Counter-Strike, which again is another first-person shooter. And they found that in all three of those cases for each of those games, they were in violation of Belgium's gambling legislation. So basically, because they were argued to be games of chance that involved this monetary wager Mm -hmm. in terms of uh, selling loot boxes, um, they were therefore illegal.
1: And um, I remember that uh, (laughs) as someone who... um dabbles in FIFA uh I think it was around then that um FIFA which has a very similar uh presentation I suppose to the the the, the sticker packs and the card packs that we all uh so lovingly remember although uh, I know that EA games um had to actually make it look significantly different um to avoid the wrath of uh, Panini who uh <laughs> make those sticker boxes um uh they had to start publishing the odds didn't they of of the yeah. um the chances of getting a certain promotional item within the pack and i think that was a little bit of an eye opener in the uk i think to some people who were like like myself playing fifa and realizing how low your chances were of actually um getting it but i mean it, it, it you sort of touched on the the key the key thing is as well and and there's often the case with um games there's lots of different Uh, mechanisms here isn't there you know there are and and that that's going to form part of your research I believe that you know there's there's the here here you can get something that makes your game uh, makes your performance potentially better if you're good enough and then some of it's just silly you know outfits that you can wear
0: yeah yeah I mean there is some work on this already in in the sense that um, so there was a study that came out actually in January this year that looked at or, or try to kind of um, segregate loot box games by the types of loot boxes that they're implemented. And generally, they found that it, it doesn't matter how it's implemented. If you if you pay for them, there was a relationship with problem gambling. Not a massive one, but it's there. But the interesting thing from that study was that that effect becomes stronger or weaker depending on how the loot box is implemented in that particular game. So, for example, some games use what's basically called a a near-miss strategy. It's kind of what you see in slot machines in in casinos. So you open a box or you spin a wheel is is a classic one. So you spin a wheel and you can see all of the options that you can win on the wheel, but you don't get any of the ones you want. You get the... The rubbish one, basically. So you're shown what you just missed out on. That seems to show the strongest effect. Whereas games which I don't use that or they give you items in loot boxes that don't offer any in-game advantage, so they're just things like character outfits or stickers or things like that, um, the effect's much weaker. What you also find as well is that if you play games where loot boxes, you can't pay for them at all, then you don't see these associations as oh, okay. well. Okay,
1: and so so that's that brings me on to my my next question quite nicely. So, um, clearly, game designers are quite clever then when it comes to sort of uh, our psychology, and and uh, I don't want to sound like they're, they're malevolent, but <laughs> sort of you know, like any like a casino designer or um you know like someone who designs a really great shopping center they they have to understand uh, or know know about our psychology um uh, is, is that something game designers are thinking of
0: i'm sure it is but i don't necessarily know that they're thinking about it in the same way that we're talking about it here now i think um you know, whenever you talk to industry and in, in explain some of the, the, the scientific research beha- behind how things like gambling work, they, they recognize it, but they don't know it for, you know, the technical terms that you've used. What what I suspect tends to happen in, instead is that you have um, a, a sort of period of trial and error where they try out different ways of doing things. And, you know, we're talking about how you best monetize games at the minute because people don't really spend money as a one-off thing outright for the game at the start. Now that that's sort of a, a business model that that died about 15, 20 years ago. So games developers need to find ways to make their products viable from a from a profit point of view. And if you implement something in a game and release it out there into the the wider world and you start getting loads of money for it, you might see that as a good thing without necessarily thinking about the psychological impact that th- that might have on your player base because it's not necessarily the thing that you're thinking about when you implement it. So yeah, there are psychologists that work at, at video games development companies. They tend to work in things like user experience. And there are, you know, like in any walk of life, there are some good ones, some bad ones, and some in the middle really. Um, but I hear this argument quite a lot that that people think that games development companies are, are, are evil. Basically, that they're doing these things deliberately, and you know, I, like you said at the start, I wrote a book uh, a couple of years ago about this stuff, and I got to interview some games developers at some big, um, big firms, and I never got that impression from them. You know, these are people who love games, and they lucked out because they happened to get into a job where they could do something that they could enjoy and was their hobby. A lot of them are parents as well, and they just you know they just came across as normal people right you know they're they're, they're trying to do the best they can um there's no single driving evil force that's 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 running you know what happens in these companies is that you have fairly kind of segregated groups of teams that are all working on little bits of a game and then that all comes together as a final product at the end so they're not always necessarily talking to each other certainly about psychology and the psychology psychological impact of of what they're doing they'll just Go within whatever their specific remit is so i think we have to be really careful about how we have these conversations and and not vilify games developers you know equally i would say that that there've been some uh, situations where games developers have said some really dumb things that have made them look super evil but you know i'm sure that's a mistake as well but not vilify them because a they I think they 're just people they 're just normal people um, and and b particularly from my point of view as a scientist they they 're the gatekeepers to the best data that we 've got out there so one thing that 's a, a real struggle, not just about loot boxes but about video games generally is that we often have to rely on like I said earlier, these sort of subjective questionnaires and, and reports are so asking people, you know, how do you feel about this game, or what do you do in this game, or how long do you spend on this game. And even if you're being as super honest as as you can be, or as you think you can be, in answering those questions, it turns out people aren't very good at these sorts of self-report measures. Uh, there's a there's a growing line of research at the that's looking at this in the particular context of screen time. So most studies out there on screen time will involve asking people, how much of your day do you spend on Instagram or on your smartphone or on TV? Now, when you look at the data that people provide versus the data that you can grab off their smartphones with things like the screen time app, they're, they're completely off the mark. People are really bad at, at estimating time in that sense. And that makes sense in a way for video games in particular, because, you know, the whole point of playing video games is that you immerse yourself in a, uh, a fantastical world for a bit just to, to zone out. So, you know, you're not going to be keeping an eye on the clock, really, uh, when you're doing that. So we're really bad at those sorts of things. Games companies have that data. They have the real objective data of how much people are spending what they're spending it on, what time they're spending in the game, who they're engaging with—all of those sorts of things—that mm-hmm. would be a treasure trove for <laughs> scientists like me to get their hands on.
1: And so, so, to go back to your research, then, so, so at the moment you're um, sort of investigating all those things that that we've just talked about. Um, I just wondered: um, Are we also looking at here at sort of randomness in games in general? Because it it occurred to me while I was um, you know reading up on this that I suppose for quite a long time, this some version of this has been in games before. I suppose we coined the term loot box. Um, I think back to my days playing Warcraft, where we would do a do a <laughs> a raid. Uh, I'm showing my <laughs> my slight bias here in, in and my passion for games, but you know you would go go onto a, a dungeon with a group of friends, you kill the boss, and then. Uh, some element of luck would just dis- determine your reward. Um, are, are you interested in how similar these things look and feel to the, the to the you know the end user, the gamer?
0: I think that's a really important question to ask, actually, because it, you know it's not the case that random chance mechanisms are unique to loot boxes. Pretty much every video game over the past. Forty, nearly fifty years, have those sorts of chance mechanisms in them that form part of things like, like you say, determining the the challenge level in a raid in Warcraft, or determining what piece of armor you happen to get, and things like that. And you're not you're not paying for that, so it's not the case that in a Warcraft raid, when you beat the boss, you then have to pay fifty p and a chance of getting the. The bit of armor that you want. Could you imagine you just, the uproar? You get. Oh, it'd be <laughs> a nightmare. But yeah, you just get it or you don't. Um, and nobody's worried about that, really. I think there's probably going to be some people who disagree with me in, in that. In that, one argument could, be, could make is that you know if we're worried about these chance elements in the context of finance and uh, monetization and, and loot boxes, and that we're saying that these sorts of things might have an effect on people, it's not that much of a step to say, well. If this is pervasive in all aspects of the game, maybe that's what makes games addictive. I'm I'm fairly ambivalent about that, really. In that, I think fundamentally that's just part of what games are. That you know, you go around and you get a chance at getting something, and if you don't get it, oh well, you know, you can always try again um, next time. But I think there's an important question. You know, if you do decide to go down that route, there's an important question about you know where do you draw the line. Um, because, you know, you can argue that there's random chance elements in terms of things like, um, so let's let's carry on with, with Warcraft. So let's say that there's a quest that you've got to do where you've got to earn 100 gold from killing boars, right? And each boar drops a random amount of money. So there's a random chance element there. You might get one gold from killing one, or you might get 20 gold, right? So... Mm-hmm. If you're worried that that random chance mechanism might draw people into playing the game more, wh- wh- how, what do you do about it? How do you change it? Um, I'm not sure how you can. And actually, it probably doesn't even matter because you know, player one might have to kill 100 boars because they were really unlucky. Player two might have to kill five boars because they were really lucky. But at the end of that, for both of them, they finished the quest and they've moved on to something else. So there's you know, there's an endpoint for that. Uh, chance mechanism to have have its impact. So it's, you know, when you start thinking about it in those sorts of terms, it becomes really difficult to think about how you would assess that in an experiment really quickly. And this is one of the major problems that we've had with video games research, Um, not just looking at addiction or or loot boxes, but in any question around psychological effects over the past 30 years. How do you define video games and how do you operationalize your variables so you you can be sure that that thing that you're changing from condition a to condition b really a is meaningful um, and b is the thing that you think it is it becomes a very difficult question to answer very quickly and we've not really got a good handle on that yet
1: mm. and this this um it does remind me of my uh psychology undergrad uh degree where we obviously learned uh uh, this is gonna be bad if i get the, the term wrong. <laughs> but essentially it, it's a it's a form of what psychologists call operant conditioning is
0: that right yeah so
1: that's yeah. so I, i'll let the psychologist explain
0: <laughs> <laughs> so really kind of what we're talking about here is that um that they're called variable ratio schedules so it's this idea that you know you might have let's say uh, a one in ten chance of winning something but it's not the case that you have nine goes and you lose every time and then on the 10th go you win it and then you have another nine goes and you don't win and then on the 20th go you win it you get a kind of randomized pattern of of wins and losses right and it averages out to a one in 10 uh chance but There's a couple of things that therefore work against you in those sorts of situations. So the first is that because you can't precisely predict when you're going to hit the jackpot or get that thing that you want in the loot box, it means that you're more likely to carry on playing until you do win it. The second is that you might win with just enough frequency not to be put off by the number of times you lose. So, you know, if we go back to our World of Warcraft example, you know, if you have to kill a boss a hundred times in order to get that one piece of armor that you really, really want. If you're like me and you're a bit lazy, you're probably <laughs> not going to do that. Right. Yeah. Whereas if you, if you only maybe need to kill them 10 times, uh, in order to get a chance at it, that sounds a little bit more appealing. It feels a bit more appealing. Yeah. absolutely. So it, it's kind of, it's things like that. It's all about it, this ties into a sort of fundamental area of research and psychology around how we've learned things. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, operant conditioning is is one way in which that can happen.
1: Okay, um, so yeah, I want to go back to uh, this research. So, um, uh, just quickly, actually. So, I, I was uh, when I was uh, again reading into this, I, I, I wondered: Is this? Are we just talking about the overwatches and Hearthstones and uh, Fifas of the world? You know, I'm talking about big console titles. Um, Or are these things appearing in things that are even more pervasive, like you know, mobile games, um, which have, I suppose, just as big or sometimes even bigger user bases?
0: It's a really good question. Um, I think when we talk about maybe loot box is the wrong term to use as well, because it certainly in my mind it conjures a very specific image. And Mm -hmm. basically, whenever I think of loot box, I think of Overwatch because it's literally a box that you open to get loot. but like I said earlier, these these can take all sorts of different forms. It can be a, a spinning wheel, uh, for example, um, or so Mario Kart, kart Tour on the uh, on the mobile has a form of loot box in it, which is you can fire off a pipe, a green pipe from from Mario series, and you get a random chance at getting a new driver or a new kart or a new set of glider wings and things right. like that. So these things are certainly everywhere in games not we're not just talking about console and pc games we are talking about mobile games as well and so you, but um sorry come on so i was just so the the problem there is that loot boxes are a specific way of implementing a system in which you can get money out of people um in like what we call microtransactions. so you you're getting small amounts of money but frequently from people uh, and they' they're one particularly well known um particular particular focus at the minute M- My worry with having too much of a fo- focus on loot boxes though is that actually we're missing all sorts of other mechanisms that are being implemented in games particularly in mobile games that that have the potential to be much more insidious in terms of their effects. And this is the issue with thinking about legislation around loot boxes. If you define them in a specific way, you might be able to tick your box of saying we've regulated loot boxes, but you've missed all of this other stuff that actually is much more problematic um, and has much clearer links to gambling-like mechanisms. And then we have to do the entire thing all over again, which will take another five years.
1: And I suppose that brings me very nicely um, to what is so interesting and so exciting about this uh, research that you're doing now is that it's you're, you're not just going to publish it in a paper you are, but but this is um you know this is a document that it that has the, ch- the potential of informing future policy is that right
0: yeah hopefully so the um the, the the government's dcms department for culture media and sport is looking at loot boxes very specifically at the minute they they uh, had a call for evidence uh, that i think closed about a week or two ago um, or they're having lots of roundtable discussions at the minute that, that are with um, all sorts of people, just trying to get a feel for what we do and do not know about loot boxes. My impression is that they're they're, they're being really sensible about it, and that you know they're trying to be evidence based and evidence led. My worry at the minute is that our evidence base isn't there yet. Like I said earlier, a lot of a lot most, if not all, of the studies out there on loot boxes are correlational in nature that's not to disparage them i think it's just part of the nature of how how we go about doing this sort of research and and in fact the study that i'm doing at the minute will largely be correlational in nature it's just going to be to nerd out for a second it's going to use bayesian statistics to look at um strength of evidence for the associations that we see in the literature so kind of a an incremental step forward but what we need really is good causal studies that use objective data that's the sort of stuff that um, policy should be based on um, and we're, we're really not there with it yet
1: and that stuff um, from my brief experience in psychology does you know take some considerable design and time and uh, candidates and I suppose is, is a longer term mission to, to to complete
0: yeah definitely and I think part of the reason why I sit on the fence a little bit around Thinking about whether loot boxes are generally bad or good or not is that you know we've got all of this research that seems to be pointing in the same direction. It's you know all this correlational stuff that says doesn't matter how it's implemented. If you pay for it, there seems to be a relationship between that and problematic gambling behaviors. And we've got enough studies that say that now that you know, make you think. Well, you know, yeah, it's not causal, but you know, there's a lot there to suggest that there's something going on that we should be worried about. My concern with that is that if you if you look at what's happened in other research areas to do with video games, we've gone through these sort of sim- similar cycles of lots and lots of studies showing that there is a clear negative effect, but they're all based on a particular way of doing things and a particular way of collecting the data. And then actually, when you get some real objective data from industry and you do a, a really robust Replicable open science study, you find the opposite effect, and it's sort of somewhat counterintuitive. So my worry is, I don't necessarily know if that will happen with loot box research because, like I say, the 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 work that's out there at the minute is good. it's pre-registered. Um, all of the data are available out there for most of the studies that that uh, look at this. But if we've just not got the right research questions, yet, and we're not asking them in the right sort of way, i just i'm just cautious that we don't want to get to a point where three years down the line we've regulated loot boxes because we've based it on the research that we've got now and then actually we do the study that we wanted to do all along and it turns out actually they're fine um in which case we've made a terrible mistake so yeah i'm trying to sit on the fence with it at the minute
1: yeah and it's it's a common theme across psychology as you, you, you feel suggested there that um you know it's i suppose it, it's a youngish subject and um we only have the the means and the methods of study that we have to you know our hands but often it, it is often the case that you know once we dig into things uh especially when it comes to correlational studies um you know the the, the correlation sometimes miss the nuance of of what's actually going on
0: yeah definitely definitely um and, and i guess it depends what sort of question you're asking and mm. um particularly in the context of, of loot boxes there's the, the the big you know why question so that's the thing that we've really not got to grips with yet so let's assume for a second that this correlation between buying loot boxes and poor mental health is is real you know and, and there's there's a causal direction that we can assert from that actually the important question is why 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 is this happening and um, you know what can we do about it and and yeah in some ways i think the why question needs to come first really so you need, you need a really good theoretical background a theoretical rationale for, for doing the study that you, you you want to do um and then that might lead you into getting the right methods and that's you know that's not to say just finding out whether there's an association between one thing or another is is a bad thing to do it's it's not it's it's very useful but that why question is i guess the one that i'm really interested in
1: so that that's um that's the next next really exciting thing about this is is people listening can can get involved can't they
0: yeah absolutely so it's Basically, it's a ten-minute survey, so it's got, it's got all the problems that I was talking <laughs> about before. Um, but all the stats will be really good, so don't worry about that side of things. But yeah, so if people are over the age of eighteen and if they've played a game that contains some sort of loot box-like mechanic in uh, over the past month or so, um, I would love them to take part in in, in the survey. Uh, We need a lot of people. We need about 5,000 participants for it to do it justice, basically. So the more the merrier.
1: Brilliant. Thanks, Pete. Thanks for your time. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Science Focus podcast. Now, if you want to take part in Dr. Etchell's research and you've got 10 minutes to spare, head over to bit.ly forward slash research. This link will take you to Bath Spa University's website, where you'll find the survey we've mentioned. Once again, that's bit.ly, so bit.ly, dot L-Y, forward slash loot, L-O-O-T, box, B-O-X, research, R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H. And do keep an eye out on sciencefocus.com, where we'll be writing more about Pete's work and indeed about the psychology of gaming in general. Also, if you've enjoyed this episode, please do check out the latest issue of BBC Science Focus magazine. In December, we've taken a deep dive into the search for extraterrestrial life. We talk to the scientists sending messages into outer space. And we take a look at the missions, hunting for signs of life in our own solar system. Thank you for listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Science Focus magazine team. We're the UK's best-selling Science and Technology Monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for
0: us in your app store.